0: Okay, welcome to another Model Railroad Hobbyist podcast. Chris Palomeras is with me today. And we've got uh, Bruce Kingsley up in Yakima. Am I saying that right, Bruce?
1: You are. Thank you. All
0: right. Yakima, Washington. Uh, back on uh, the 30th of May, Chris posted a YouTube link on the Model Railroad Hobbyist podcast Facebook page about... What I'm going to describe is Bruce's virtual reality tour of his railroad. It is just mind-boggling, the interplay between uh, the electronics, the simulation of the train, the videos presented. So where did this desire to do this come from, Bruce?
1: I think it started when I was doing photography of my layout over the years doing photography and video equally i just had somewhat of epiphany of of doing photography and video at at a scale level and and i did a couple of those videos and then it i thought wouldn't it be kind of cool to put it in the train itself that's what kind of started it and of course over the months of doing the project had a lot of different obstacles to get it to where i am now but it was to I guess fulfill what everyone would probably would love to do, is not just watch your model trains, but get inside it and run it around. Okay. I got to
2: say that you you've really hit the nail on the head with that. That's what I was thinking. You, you got to imagine yourself being shrunken down to the size of an HO figure and getting the opportunity to. Right inside the cab. And that that is just such the coolest thing. I think every modeler can relate to that in some degree. Just like we've we've always wanted to hop on and take a ride on our favorite locomotive, you know, going around a a really nice looking layout, too.
0: Oh, yes. Very, very well detailed. And the, the use of the penny. Uh, next to the guy on the station platform so that people would appreciate the scale as the uh the screen started coming through the uh, cab window uh excellent now where did you get an f7 cab
1: uh where did i get it well i made it so originally my plan was to just put a camera in the train and just watch it and uh I honestly have to say I don't know who kind of planted the seed in my head that said, let's not just watch it, let's become part of it. And so it, it certainly the whole project is one evolution after another. Okay. So ultimately I decided to model the cab. And I do want to kind of make a point of that because there were some opportunities for me to use components from a real locomotive but i chose not to do that because i wanted to keep with the spirit that it was still model railroading the cab is uses all the same techniques that would be used for modeling structures you know, and weathering rolling stock it's just bigger but it's just a bunch of plastic and and wood you know to look like a cab but there's nothing in there that's you know quote real
0: Good grief it looked excellent job. I thought uh, you had found <laughs> an f seven and bought the the cab off from it and then piecemealed it into
1: your room. No, I'll give you an example things like the uh the gauges yeah. those are made from black sewer pipe p v c you know pipe yeah cut off you know made new reproduction bezels in the back, put little servo motors behind it the uh the throttle stand is also made from just large PVC pipe. The top of it is styrene that I formed, heated up, and melted it so I could go and create the shape that it is.
0: Okay. You had mentioned even the throttle stand. You had started putting together PVC to make the throttle.
1: Right. So that's too, is just large PVC pipe. Uh, the top is styrene. That you know is shaped to make that top uh, painted, weathered to make it look kind of like chipped paint. Um, you know, down to putting name plates on it that and little fake rivets to look like the name plates glued down on it.
0: Oh, excellent job! <laughs> excellent job. How long did it take you to make this cab?
1: I started the project in September and I focused on more of the physics to actually reproduce the motion of the locomotive and, and kind of breaking the barrier to talk on the loco net. And then probably in the January time frame, I started to work on the, the cab parts piece by piece.
0: Okay. Well, that's just excellent. Uh, even the color. I mean, it looks like you've got the EMD cab green nailed. I know a I'm lot talking. of modelers will be asking
2: you what you use for that ED yeah, cap green you use because for paint. <laughs> they got
0: to match it, you know. That's oh, excellent.
1: Yeah, just just two mixtures of aerosol paint from the hardware store.
0: Okay, now in the video that Chris posted, you in your dialogue at the beginning, you show the equipment, the camera car. The processor, and then finally the uh, the power unit. Describe each one of those elements for us. I mean, because people are going to want to know how are you getting these cameras, how are you transmitting. So, start at the beginning of the train and just tell us about that.
1: Okay. So, to bring everyone up to speed, there's actually four elements now. Okay. Well, so, so the first one is, as you indicated, it's the uh, the camera. Locomotive, And it eventually will have a shell over it so you don't see all the guts. You'll see an F-A unit with a lens protruding from the nose. So that is a high-definition camera. It's probably my fourth try uh, trying to get a camera to fit and get the image quality in a streaming was – Actually, more of a challenge than I originally thought, because when you go and blow it up on a 48-inch monitor, even cameras that you perceive are good, you see other problems relating into it. Um, Equally on that car is a a power supply, so it takes the power from from the rail, and it powers the camera. It also powers sensors that are in there that both are tilt, shock, and there's a uh, an infrared sensor that I put in so I could go beyond my normal occupancy detection that I have. I have the Digitrack system, but I wanted to know ex- exactly when I was at a specific location. So, I could play sound effects based off where we're at, which is um, is not in that current video. The next l- car behind it, which will be a B unit, it too has its own power supply that draws from the rail, and its only purpose is to power the transmitter. And this transmitter is designed to stream 1080p, and uh, th- that device is a, a, a pretty power-hungry device. When it's fully powered up, it's drawing almost two amps, and it's very sensitive for losing power as well. So there are there's about three, four farads of supercapacitors that are on it. So it takes about 45 seconds for that just to come up to, up to power. The next is what I call the pusher, and it is another B unit, and it's actually what pushes it around, and it ultimately gets the throttle commands from the system itself. The, the fourth unit, which is not captured in, in the video, is what I call a telemetry unit, and it will be another A unit. And it has a a small Arduino computer in it, and it has what's called an XB RF transmitter. And it picks up those sensors that I first described in the front with the camera, and it sends it back to the cab. So as the cab goes down the track, because even on my layout, I don't have perfectly flat track. It rocks back and forth. So it uses that to both create shock that you feel in the cab as it bumps around, uh, and also with my ambition that I can use this, this whole system on layouts bigger than mine that have grade, it will pick up the, the camera if it, if, if it was going up or down a hill, it will send that angle to the cab and the and the the computer then starts calculating the effects of going up a grade, including, you know, if it's gonna slip or if it, or going down a hill if you're gonna actually start, you know, bidding building up momentum and not you're gonna have a runaway engine on your hand. So that makes it the four units.
0: Okay, so- now go ahead, Chris.
2: So uh, my question on the on the four locomotives. Um, so it, are you are you planning on eventually? Um, well, you, you said you you have like a, a kicker in, in your seat, so you can actually feel the the train movement.
1: Um, oh, i and I've got better than that now. I've oh, got the okay. kicker, but now since I added this telemetry items on it, it one of the things I notice, and of course. Every time I operate this thing, I pick up things that just don't seem right. I added, and hold on to your seat, there are two 1,500-watt kickers now on this thing, (laughs) driven by a 4,000-watt amp on this. And that's been driven by the telemetry. So when I go over a bump, this whole cab bounces around. Wow,
2: that's amazing. You're, you're going to need to put the little hula dancer on the of your F unit. <laughs> a, you a little A little bobblehead
1: or something there. Yeah, I've already had issues with having to do some changes to keep everything together because the vibration has been violent enough that, you know, screws are coming loose. and Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and equally, it drives... Another sound overlay, because now that I have put the, the Prime Mover on its own dedicated decoder, the, the original sound decoder that made the sound, its driving sounds are the, the sounds of the cab creaking and moaning.
3: Because
1: mm-hmm. well, you know, when you look at videos online and you, you see them running from the inside, You know the the whole locomotive is moaning and the metal is creaking and so forth and those sounds change as you go, you know, faster.
0: Right. Wow. So, so, in the video, when I'm listening to it, you can just hear the the rumble and the roar of the five sixty seven. So, what kind of speakers are you bombarding your ears with? for that virtual experience there?
1: So there's there's six speakers in the system, and that, there's 350 watts of that. Um, two of them you can see on the side. There are speakers <laughs> yeah. that are below the, the dash, so when you are doing breaks and you go into emergency and some of those, those sounds come from those speakers. Um, there's a subwoofer that's that's disguised behind the grill on the floor um, and there's a speaker that's over it too because all the environmental sounds equally all come from all locations. It's not a mono system. You know, when you go past it, you know, the, 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 the cabin now and the telemetry system picks up that we're, we're now going past that you hear the guy on the front porch playing the banjo. When you pass the drive-in, you hear the cars honking and you hear denouncements over the intercom, and it's coming out the left side. When you pass the the children in the backyard, you hear the kids playing on the right-hand side of you as you're going past. So it's got all that other sound experience all now been added to it. and And I'll be making another video to capture these new... Facts.
2: that's incredible
0: no yeah just and i think chris the context on that is you said what your layout that we're seeing filmed is four foot by seven foot
1: yeah and uh as i stated in the video um I i don't i don't i won't call it egotistical but you know you in the model railroading world, it seems like if you're anybody, you've yeah. got a layout that fills, you know, a small hangar. and, you know, you know, I've got this layout, I mean, kids, you know, just starting off, at least start off with a 4x8 sheet of plywood, and, uh, you know, so I originally started off with this thing so small, and part of it is because I really like scenery, and so it's more of a diorama ambition, but... I felt, I'm not going to share that. So for the last couple of years since I've been doing model railroading and I've made some videos and posted pictures, I have made it my purpose to never show the entire layout. Okay. But when I did that video and when I first started operating this thing, one of the observations I had is my layout didn't seem as small anymore when you operated it from this system. So I felt... I just had to show the layout so everyone could really see that it is really small. So when you're seeing everything behind the window, it's it's big. You know, there's so much to explore.
0: Yeah, the, the mental reality that you've uh, created or the mental perception, maybe, <laughs> perception, reality, whatever, looks real, is much larger than, I think there's an opening shot where you're showing the layout, the four by seven, and it just comes off so much larger.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. and that's why the very opening shot, I thought it would be really cool to show with the with the, the engine with its nose sticking into the engine house. Yeah. And, you know, I'm actually videoing the video, which is unfortunate, you, you You know, the YouTube video by no means really captures what it really looks like or feels like, but, you know, I'm videoing looking out the window, and I am looking up into the rafters of a a couple of, you know, just like a 2-inch or whatever high engine house, and you're looking up into it.
2: You know, it just made that 4-by-7-foot layout feel more like a 20-by-20-foot layout when you're going around. It just... The the small radius curves seem, you know, manageable because it's just the the compression and uh, how you see how you see things in real life just is really compressed to what it really is. So the compression looks actually correct, you know. So I, when I saw the video, I was just like, "This is really really cool." It's like you know, going back into the old special effects days where everything was a model and it looked so much more real than you know some sort of computer rendering. So seeing that, but it was like this video that you, you had to, you got the opportunity to interact with, sort of you know more like a game than than anything. You know, so I, I thought well, that was just amazing.
1: And of course, it really emphasized that you know all of us in model railroading probably don't really operate our locomotives at scale speed because, you know, as we've talked before, Chris, you know, that one of the things that I need to do is to try to get a better lower speed resolution because even at full speed that I run this at, I'm actually running the model locomotive at a fraction of its full speed potential.
2: Right. Right, yeah, so you, you, you're you looking for uh, a physical, mechanical way to gear down the, the output from the motor to the gearbox and to the wheels so you can actually get the...
1: And, you and know. I would think, and when I'm in the cab, which is actually in another room, and I walk out and I look at the camera going around, it's going really slow. And I think when we run our model railroads with a conventional throttle... I think we ultimately get hit, you know, impatient. It's like, you know, this is just nuts. Let's, can us kick this up a couple of notches, you know, get around this? But when you're in the cab, you, you're going plenty faster than that. In fact, if you go and run the locomotive at a speed that I think a lot of people would probably run their locomotives on, it's borderline, you know, nauseous. You know, it's like my goodness, we're yeah. going to jump off the tracks and go right into the <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: It's like we're you're you're scam- you're slamming along on the TGV or something like that. You know, yeah, I, I quite understand that.
0: Now the the four units that make up the train, uh, those are transportable, right? You could take that to a club and run it, and do the recording, bring it back to your home, massage all the data, and then portray it with your cab and everything. Is that correct?
1: Well, so it's real time. So it's, you know, I could – do you have a layout, Paul?
0: Uh, I'm getting ready to move, so mine's torn down, but I've got –
1: Okay, we'll pretend you have one. So if you have have a layout, as long as you have a – a Digitrack system on it. All I need is a Loconet plug. And then if I bring my four locomotives and you let me use two of your addresses and I set up this cab and you give me at least a 20 amp outlet, especially because of the 4,000 watt amp,
3: <laughs>
1: all I have to do is just run that one Loconet plug. Into your digit track system, and we're ready to go.
0: Wow, that's cool. You could rent yourself out. <laughs> you could go down really? to La Mesa and uh, go to Pasadena, it's, all those geez. big model railroad clubs.
1: Wow. Yeah. And that's why I call it a throttle, because that's really all it is. It's just a throttle.
0: <laughs> see, I could see a tie in here. Chris, you know how you and Ken are doing all the artsy uh, photographs for the ads. Here's a here's an opportunity for a uh, cab view, and then Patterson doing <laughs> the side movie of uh, like your new U50s coming out.
2: Well, hey, you know what? There there are some really cool layouts that you know I, I've had the opportunity to just see, and this would just bring a whole new level of amazing to. Oh. To just be able to Absolutely. experience running uh, these layouts like you would, like a real locomotive, you know.
1: Well, and I could pass yours uh, if you saw the video. I have a uh, an F, you know, an F, another F unit that's passing me while I'm sitting sitting there. Yeah,
3: yeah, exactly. Um,
1: right. Yeah. It, so, so that's an Earthworms unit that I added some more details to, but. Um, uh, it's another interesting perspective to actually go and watch another scale locomotive, you know, passing you.
2: Well, uh, who yeah. needs a fast yeah. clock when you got, you know, a, a geared down locomotive that makes it feel like you're you're going the right speed? You know? <laughs> if everybody ran the scale speed, I, I, I think that there wouldn't be a need for a fast clock so much. Um, granted, the fast clocks are kind of used to make... Distances between towns seem a little bit bigger. Well, I don't know.
1: <laughs> and you know what's funny about that locomotive thing is, yeah, I don't get a lot of postings on the no, on on the websites, but uh, I do get a lot of email, a lot of email. Oh, and really? A lot? Of, oh, yeah. And the emails are usually all the people who are finding all the faults that I've done. Um, and, oh no. Probably the signal stuff has probably been a lot, but there's been a lot of uh, a lot of items that have been on there. But ironically, the one thing that no one has, has made a comment on is why is the locomotive that's passing us the same number as the one we're driving?
2: <laughs> you know, I thought about that when. When, when I saw the video, I'm like, "Oh, that's cute." The number on the window is the same as the locomotive. But hey, you know, it's all good.
3: <laughs> uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> well, we all have our favorite locomotive that we kind of—it uh, becomes our teddy bear, you know. And that those those road numbers kind of stick with us everywhere we go. It seems like
1: the, uh, yeah, the Western Pacific is, you know, was mine is. Uh, I went to Portola, California a couple of years ago and I rented both their F unit and GP9 there. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you, there's nothing like getting behind a real locomotive and drive. I mean, it was such a cool experience. And I think that's probably why I decided when I started doing this cab and I needed more sound, I need more shake, I need you know I need more power was because, <laughs> because power. I already I already experienced, you know, the feeling of of you know running you know two hundred and fifty thousand pounds of mass down and I kinda wanted to have that same experience in my basement.
0: Now where did you where did you get the actual sound files that
1: we're hearing? How did so, those come about? So there's a mixture. So the prime mover um, was created for me by DCC Sounds. So it's in an, it's in a lock sound uh, uh, decoder, uh, and they uh, and, and again in my latest system, which is not captured on the video. They programmed it so I could individually control the sounds from going to all the different notches and the different power conditions that I wasn't able to do, even on the video. Um, The other sounds that are in there, including like a horn, that was actually captured, actually a lot of the locomotive sounds, like the horn, the brake sounds, the air releasing. I recorded when I went to Portola because I brought a a good shotgun mic with me, and so I had a lot of those sounds that I just captured myself. There's not in counting the the prime mover sounds, this system has about five different audio cards and probably – 150 different sound files that the computer puts together to make all these different sounds go. And then it goes into an audio processor that enables me to do the mixing and also uh, add, like, ambience to give, you know, more of a, a stereophonic effects, openness to it and the metal goes to the different audio amplifiers.
0: So your sound files is, okay, so you're throttling up, and then you're uh, a constant speed, let's say in whatever notch it is. So do you have a sound file of of the acceleration, and then the steady speed, is that being looped until you signal that, you know, with your throttle, that you're going to start slowing down, and then it goes to a slowing-down prime mover file. Is that the way you stitch this together?
1: Well, I can't take the credit for the prime mover because, again, DCC Sounds, um, they actually produce that, all those, the the actual uh, prime mover sound from an F7 based out of Chicago is where the individual who actually did those recordings did those. And, and, and he, 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 uh, knowing that it's not going to be playing through a small one-inch speaker, uh, and that the coder does have a fairly wide frequency response, he gave my project file without it, the low-end cutout. So, knowing that I was going to oh. be playing it through speakers that could reproduce those, because, you know, if you, you just get a bunch of distortion trying to run all that through a small speaker. Oh, yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. And you do get some really low bass when that thing is accelerating.
1: Oh, heavens. Like I said, you feel it. I mean, it's just, it drives my wife nuts.
0: <laughs> I felt it through my computer right there. <laughs> uh, that,
2: that's got to be quite a quite a sight to, you know, kind of, Watch someone actually run the cab, you know, kind of really get into operating the train, you know. That, oh. That's got to be something to witness.
1: Well, and, and it is because I've I've had a couple of people from work, some other fellow engineers, not train engineers, but aerospace engineers, and when they get behind there, suddenly it's it's almost real. You can there's there. They're a little bit scared on how fast they're going, and when it starts rolling and it hits the first rail tie, and the whole thing bumps and it's you know you can tell' them they're <laughs> starting from what the heck is that and, you know, it there is it takes almost a time to set in you can tell by watching people that you, you can't hurt anything you know right it, it, it,
2: but but there's still sweaty palms at the end of it. <laughs>
1: Or they put the brakes on hard, and you know suddenly it's just squealing. And I'm telling them, "You're putting flat spots on my wheels. You have got a cost to get more of those." Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> no wheels were harmed in the making of this production, you know. <laughs>
0: yeah. That, but you know, Chris and Bruce, both of you made the point about people run trains too fast, so. We sell speed recorders at the store, and they're they're really quite good because they're using uh, LEDs for uh, trip beams. And I'll bring a train around, and, of course, I've done it. And I know about how fast I'm going in scale miles per hour in HO. And I'll go, well, how fast do you think you're going, or I'm going? He said, oh, maybe 15, 16 miles an hour is all. You're just lugging. Well, I know I'm actually doing 40 HO scale miles per hour. So it goes through this timing tunnel and displays the time. And they're going, had no idea. Because if someone wants to run their train and I'm in a good mood and, you know, I tap them on the shoulder with the sword and say, yes, my son, rise and run your train. (laughs) Too often, it's just like a a speed race out there. (laughs) I go, you know, you're going a little quick. I think that locomotive had a uh, gear, gear ratio that only limited it to 70 miles an hour. But, yeah, the, I got that impression when I started watching the video. We're moving along at a scale speed. It fits the whole scenery. The movement of yeah. the train is mm-hmm. consistent and complements the scenery. Oh, that's, right. yeah, excellent. Now, do you think you're going to be doing more of these with more – I think you've got to expand your railroad. Do you have, what's your wife think about this? Will she give up space?
1: Uh, I don't know. Uh, you know and, and to be perfectly honest, uh, again, I really like doing the scenery, and that's part of the reason why I made, it, made my layout smaller.
0: Okay, but you can do another section. Do another section. <laughs> <laughs> make it bigger, then we get a bigger run. I think you need it, to do it Now save. keep in mind, Bruce,
2: that Paul owns or works for a hobby shop, so he he's used to the upsale on these things, <laughs> yeah, you
0: know. <laughs> right. Put more stuff in the buggy.
1: But yeah, I mean you know, I've gotta get all the, the people who notice all my signals wrong. So you know, that's gotta be a priority to get the signals taken care of. I
0: want you to know Um, that I wasn't going to say a word about it because I was so enthralled by everything else.
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: Again, people, go to uh, the Model Railroad Hobbyist Podcast Facebook page and uh, look right down there. Chris posted this YouTube video that Bruce did back on uh, 530. Watch it. It's about, what, 25, 26 minutes long?
1: Yeah, the first part is just kind of capping because I call it part nine because all the other ones were just how I got there. So the half of it I'm just kind of recapping the whole project, and the other half of the video is me running it around.
0: Oh, watch it. Now, what else? I mean, you've mentioned you like doing scenery. You've uh, obviously do a good job at detailing uh, because you detailed that other F
1: unit. Uh, do you make your own trees? Yes, I do. Okay. Some of the some of them that are on there are when I first started, and it's, yeah. I think everyone goes through the experience when you you buy your first, you know, whatever it is, locomotives, and you think you know that looks really cool, and then a week later, you go, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that really looks pretty fake and yeah. <laughs> so you know I went through that same evolution as well on pretty much everything and so I still have some of my older trees and then a lot of the newer trees are are ones that I made from some selective plants if you will okay um that that you know I modeled it that did, you know, that looked really good, especially when it got close up, that you, you, you could see, um, and and I think that's where a lot of my scenery has been taken out. Uh, I think the structure that I probably have redone the most is the, uh, the there's a, the the Bates Mansion that's up on the hill, <laughs> and uh, that one being a plastic kit. And did some photographs of it close up. It just really didn't come out good. And, and it's really challenging to get a plastic model, especially of wood, to really look old. And So that that thing got ripped out a couple of times to get it to look halfway decent.
0: So do you like doing kits or do you get into kit bashing or scratch building?
1: Uh, I, I like doing everything custom. Uh, every I don't think I have a single locomotive that looks anything like what it did when I got it out of the box. Um I, I guess I wanna put my own fingerprint on everything.
0: Very good. Yeah. Yeah, it's understandable. Well, one of the one of the fellow uh participants at Model Railroad Hobbyists, you know, Jimmy Simmons has Monster Model Works down in Uh, California, makes raw materials as well as kits, Uh, 3D printing, uh, and obviously uh, three-axis laser cutting. So he has, you know, kits, raw materials. So I'll mention that. He does some uh, really nice stuff for you guys that like building structures.
1: And I traditionally like to use the wooden kits myself. Um, yeah yeah but, and I've done some of them that is the uh the hard recoil uh, but I still I think the majority of, of all of them that I do is uh you know the, the laser cut wooden kits
0: well yeah those tend to be just fanatically uh, accurate and so forth just because of the manufacturing process uh, you know Chris just thinking about like his tour, and so forth. You know, we could do a three dimensional or a uh, probably follow that train with a hovercraft, with an RC hovercraft and a point of view
1: camera on it. Uh, I think not. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some pretty delicate phone, you know, you know, telephone poles and wires and so forth. Uh, you could see you getting tangled in that thing.
0: Well, we would practice before we came there to use it. It wouldn't be out of the box.
1: Hey, you
2: know what? What I would be really interested in is a camera that kind of points out from the end of the caboose. You know, so when you're going around a curve, it looks like you're kind of looking around the side of the train as it's curving around.
1: Yeah, I I tell you, I love that
2: viewpoint. You know, from
3: the If I could figure
1: out a way of putting three cameras in here, so you could see the front and both sides. I'm, I'm just going to have to wait until cameras just get smaller.
2: Yeah, yeah. The, 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 you know, the resolution gets small enough where you can start putting into really discreet places on the train, you know, that would be just really cool. I, you, you could have, like, a stationary camera looking down like a grade crossing or whatever. and The train kind of clips through there. You can switch over, watch the train go by, or go to the caboose looking out over your train. The, the, that would just be a hoot and... You know, who needs a simulator then when you got that? <laughs> it's
0: like, <laughs> well, and to Chris's point there, and following up on that, I mean, you've mentioned some pretty impressive uh, numbers on equipment. I mean, f- four thousand watt amplifiers, Gee, many Christmas. Is this a huge investment? Everything you've done.
1: Uh. Can, not my asking wife for a pick, number can my wife a pick scale? up this
0: podcast? No, we will, we, will, <laughs> <laughs> we will filter out your wife's number. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Turn on that firewall, Paul.
0: But not yet. But not
1: yet. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm sure I've probably easily exceeded the
0: $15,000. Get out
1: of town. Holy moly,
2: that is the ultimate throttle though you know this Boy, is, i mean hey. if you
1: if, if you just kind of stop and just look at everything that's on this thing yeah and you it, it's it i know it it kind of has a, a a ticker you know a shock related to it, but um yeah I mean certainly the camera and some of the electronic stuff you know, <laughs> that really that you know that really added up. But, you know, just the cab, even though it's not real, you know, there's 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 all the switches and the, just the raw materials to make it. The big Luxan window, I ordered the gasket material, you know, so it kind of looked like the same rubber gasket that went around the window on the, you know, the real unit. Yes. It, it, just, it it adds up.
2: Well, you know what? It's either $15,000 for the ultimate throttle or... Honey, I shrunk the kids. You know, <laughs> trying to get into that cab. You know, th- there's a give
3: and take in this. So,
0: right. yeah, no children were hurt during the. <laughs> yeah, no, no, during the no.
2: flat wheels were hurt. You know, no, no children. No, no, no. no. It, it, it's it's what it takes to you know actually get into the cab of a locomotive. And hey, yeah, I, I gotta salute you, Bruce. That that is. It's one of the coolest things I've seen in a long time that someone has gone to this extent and really made um, more or less something that's interactive and also a lot of fun because most people don't know how to run a real locomotive. And,
1: well, and I don't that's going to be a skill. And people do remind me that.
2: And well, you know, that's true. But there, it, you start realizing the skill it takes to run these things, you know. And – it, Jim Lincoln will tell you, "Hey, hey, you know, it, it, it's it's you're you're just sitting there most of the time looking out a window, but hey, not everybody knows how to run a train, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and and getting to experience that, you know, just in the small degree it, is pretty thrilling, and it's the whole reason why people like go on." airplanes, you know, just experience being in the cockpit next to the pilot. You know, it's it's that first-person view looking out that window and, and actually getting to feel like you're, you're moving from side to side and there's a heavy train behind you. Not many people in this world can boast for that. It, it's an elite few that run the railroad for real, and it's a day-to-day well. job for them, and they get called at 3 o'clock in the morning. I know it's a pain in the butt for them. But you know, any one of
1: us is like, "Wow!" <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, well, and I yeah. wanted and I wanted to keep in the spirit of model railroading because you know I've had I've had the, the term simulator you know has been used in some dialogue related to the project, and I typically avoid that term because uh, the 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 layout is the scenery you're seeing. I modeled that. That's model railroading. The cab, it's the same things that you do to model. So it's it's part of the model railroad as well. So uh, I don't know really the right terminology, but, again, I avoid the simulator term because that puts it more in line with, like, something's computer-generated or something. You know, in this case, you know, it's not. Both the cab and what you're seeing is all the model railroading stuff. And and I wanted to stick with that 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 spirit of the project.
2: Yeah, I I, I definitely get that, and it would probably be a good idea to kind of form form our own terminology for it because it, it, it is worth something to acknowledge that there there is something more than just you know a, a virtual ride or something like that. This is really a cool thing that hasn't really been done in model railroading ever before, to my knowledge. No, I'm not
0: aware of anything like this.
2: No, they'll capture elements of it, just like, okay, well, here's a throttle where you can stand by the side of your locomotive and experience load on your train, you know, and you're, you're staring at your train and waiting a real long time for it to load up and for it to just barely creep along. That's not really thrilling. But to combine all the different aspects of looking out the window, experiencing the load, um, also feeling the vibration and hearing the sounds.
1: And feeling the breeze. Don't forget the breeze. You got to tell us about the breeze.
2: You got to tell us that this is the breeze, you know, you spray it and it makes the thing smell better. You got you to <laughs> enlighten the, the uh, listeners right now. What is the breeze?
1: You know. So the breeze is, again, it, it, was, it was kind of like a vibration thing. You know, when right. you run it the first time, it's like, this has got to be the best thing in the world. And then the next day you go down, it's like, Man, that's okay. And you start picking up the things that are, just don't seem right. And one of them was there was something missing that didn't give me the sense that I was moving. It was, the vibration and everything helped, but something was missing and being a disney fan and like disneylander type rides i um... picked up on an item that disney you know did a lot on their rides and that was to create air movement not necessarily a breeze but just air movement so i produced that into this system as well that there's a strategically located vent that is again computer controlled too so as we move faster You just feel air motion increasing, but you don't feel a breeze, and it really helps give a a psychological effect of motion.
0: Holy cow. That's (laughs) – you've really thought this out. You've really thought this out. Wow. So you've got the sense of air movement. Do we ever get into exhaust fumes or diesel fumes? Here's well, if I, could, if
1: I could figure it out, I would.
2: <laughs> yeah, you'll be shutting the window when you go through a tunnel, you know. <laughs> Forget this. <laughs> but but the, these, are, these are real things that a lot of people just don't think about when, when they're watching trains and go, how glamorous it would be or how amazing it would be to be a real engineer real engineer has to put up with a lot of stuff. You know, if the locomotive doesn't have air conditioning, then there's the environmental effects that are going to take into play. And then, hey, it, going through tunnels, real long tunnels, you know, th- th- there's a lot of different things they have to deal with when they're running a train. It, 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 just experiencing load training and, and just that, that element of physics, a lot of modelers would be taken for surprise. It's like, oh, what? what? You mean when I turn up the throttle, it just doesn't move? I was like, no. <laughs> you have like a, a couple thousand tons of boxcars pulling you the other way. <laughs> you know,
1: so. so if you saw the video, you would have picked up the, had to figure out, well, how do I add boxcars? You know, because I want the, the throttle, the system to go based off the load that you have on it, the dynamics of the locomotive chain. And you know, I didn't want to just go and flip some switches. So I thought, since I built this reproduction radio... You know, that I used as a, as a tool to give me feedback even on the computer on what it's doing or if you do something wrong. I come across the radio as a dispatcher to tell you what, you know, you did something wrong. But then I thought, well, why don't I just go and put a little crude voice recognition system in it? So when you, before you go, you, you go to the dispatcher and you ask to have a car added and then you hear a big You know, as it gets added, or you remove it, uh, a car, and so every time you ask for a car to get added, the computer calculates the additional mass of about 200,000 pounds per car is what I'm using. It adds 12 inches of coupler slack, and then if you're on grade, based off the telemetry, you're going to get, you know, the effects of of draw ball force and the, the bearing friction. So when you first take off, and I think there's only one place in the video where you you can pick up on it, because I backed up the locomotive and I think I had three box cars on it. So when I started going forward, the computer knows that the, all the coupler slack hasn't been taken out yet, so we only had to move just the mass of the locomotive. But after the first coupler engages and you hear it, suddenly we jerk slower because now we've We've got another 200,000 pounds. We travel another scale, 12 inches. You hear another, you know, crash, and the sound just kind of decays off as it, you know, it, it goes on, to the point where if you got too many cars on there, you're only going to travel so many feet, and then you're going to just start slipping the wheels.
0: Which you you illustrate that in the video that you're slipping.
1: And if you want to reverse that, you you can stop put it in reverse, and start taking the slack out going the opposite direction, and then give it another try.
0: That's really cool. You've done your homework on it. Very, very good. Now... Hello, this is actor Michael Gross, and you're
1: listening to the Model Railroad Hobbyist Podcast.
0: This is America, land of opportunity, and so forth. Chris, you're a product guy. I'm a retired product guy. There's got to be some kind of Commercialization opportunity here,
1: and I'm avoiding that.
0: <laughs> well, it's in your house, so you get the big vote. And so.
2: it's a big old DIY commercial opportunity where you can buy the YouTube videos on how to do it yourself. You know.
0: <laughs> yeah, we could do a DIY uh, program for Saturday morning.
2: There, I, I, from my standpoint, there's just so many awesome elements into this where none would outweigh the other in importance. You you wouldn't want to have this without the cab. You wouldn't want to have this without the sound or, you know, um, without especially the the camera locomotive or the the supporting elements to it. So it's, you know, (laughs) when you look at something like that, it's like how much is this really going to cost someone while –
1: And there's even been some items that, you know, I, where I've been approached where people have asked me, can I give them information about the camera and transmitter? And, you know, part of it, I'll say is, you know, I want a little bit of my time in the sunshine a little bit, but equally, like the camera and the transmitter, uh, specifically the transmitter, that device emits over 40 watts and it certainly generates enough heat that if it was sitting next to a, you know, a piece of scenery tree or so forth, it could it's hot enough it could start a fire. Being my day job is being in in the aerospace industry and engineering. There's also certainly elements relating to liability that I also want to try to, you know, stay clear of relating to that you know, that relate into these these items too, to go and make sure you know, you're doing things that are, you know, are safe as well. You know, I, I've indicated that I I probably will you know, maybe within six months or so, start, you know, sharing how some of the stuff works. But I think I'm going to be holding off a lot of the details of those items until I feel the project is more of its complete and it's ready kind of for the public domain. All right. Because, you know, obviously, you know, I've done a lot of the work. Um, I I haven't taken any, quote, donations, none, none of the equipment that i have i have on here was provided to me by you know any supplier at no cost or anything i I paid for all, all the services that you know the people have done i mean there has been some companies i'll say that went out of their way to help me use their product which you know i certainly appreciated being able to do that i wouldn't have never been able to do without them you know giving me their their help on how to modify their product Um, one of the areas that ultimately really to make this really practical is the whole dcc thing needs some evolution you know when i added the telemetry uh car you know uh, it was clear that you know i have information in the locomotive i want to send out and the protocol really just doesn't have it in there Now, the first time I was doing it, I was sending DCC packets out of the telemetry car, and uh, usually the Super Chief system would ultimately catch them and then dispose them. And a lot of times my throttle would pick them up before it it, it disposed of them. But, you know, that's not a practical thing to do, and it certainly wasn't reliable. So I had to resort to using a radio transmitter to go and send information out because I couldn't send it over the rail.
2: You know, and and it's a funny thing because once you start talking radio transmission, you're talking not DCC anymore, you know, or a different transportation protocol. That's not DCC, you know, for running trains. So yeah, I, I agree. DCC needs a, needs a little bit of, um, I guess
1: about. I mean, it's pretty much the same as you know, looking at the specs and you know having to reverse engineer it so I could send information across it. So both my layout and I also use JRMR, uh, and I use that equally with the, uh, the radio. Uh, which isn't captured on the, the latest video either, that when I go into a block and it shows occupied and the signal would indicate that I should be in a holding, I use the same, I, I, I essentially am monitoring the, uh, the local net for those transmissions. And when they come across that show that, the radio speaks up and says, you know, you need to come to a hold and wait until this other train moves out of the way. And then when the the occupancy clears the radio comes back alive and says okay you you're free to proceed with discretion, that kind of stuff, but you know there certainly would be i kind of hacked it if you will its from the, right. from a an engineering point of view it's 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 messy to me yeah and i I'm really hoping that somebody you know who ultimately kind of facilitates the d c c protocol. Expands it to open the bandwidth and make it more bi-directional and equally enabling it to support packets of information that necessarily the DCC system doesn't really have to worry about what it means. So products right. can share it and as long as the products on each end of it knows what it is, just let the, let the packets go back and forth.
2: Right. You know, Matt Herman from ESU was talking to me about this uh, on a conversation about um, opening up uh, the DCC dialogue and working really to improve the the protocol and and, and keep it not necessarily bleeding edge, but definitely more current, definitely more relevant than um, it's allowed itself to be in the past, you know, 10 years or so. So I think they're just – when the first – when it was first released it, it was it, it really did what it was supposed to do very well and no one really expected much more of it but as you know technology is technology and it just proceeds faster than we can actually absorb it sometimes it seems like it, it's become pretty dated and it, it just really hasn't kept up with the rest of technology so you you look at dcc now as sort of like well it's kind of fragmented and split and then it, there's different factions within the DCC protocol, you know, depending on what manufacturer you're in. And it, it just, what DCC needs most is convergence and then also two-way communication. We, we need to converge all these technologies together so they can cohabitate and then also allow for bi-directional communication because that's really essential that, Locomotives talk amongst themselves within a consist. You know, I think Ring Engineering has demonstrated the 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 real application for that within their their uh, Rail Pro system, where they have locomotives talking to each other to compensate for their speed. You know, so they can all sync up. You know, so and I I think it's a great standard. I think it was a smart one too. We, we just need to have a DCC protocol. Um, that kind of levels the playing field where different manufacturers don't exhibit different features that aren't compatible with each other because that completely defeats the purpose of it, you know?
1: And so. I think where you're seeing the the whole is in the transponding world. You know, every, right. there's different methodologies because everyone's trying to, even like me, you know, my telemetry, where I'm both picking up what's going on with the locomotive, but I wanted to know not what block I was in, but I wanted to know exactly where I was in my layout. And once I found this little trick using some fiber optics and some other cool magic, it was like, okay, now how do I send this back? And you know, gotcha. it just really wasn't the vehicle to go and send the information back the same way I was getting information in.
0: Well, Chris, I think you're right. All the various takes on DCC out there, all the people that started him a very distinct feature. He's got a position within that niche, and they're not the protector they don't want to share. Uh, You mentioned Ring, excellent uh, by communication there. ESU's got some real perky things. How do you see it where you as a manufacturer, as Athern, let me. Let's just use you as an example. Might become the driving force that brings all these people together, and let's take this. Let's create this new paradigm of of control and capability for DCC. And maybe it's not Athern per se, but maybe it's a consortium of of Athern, Broadway, Atlas, whomever. You know that that becomes the driving body there.
2: Well. Well, let's start here. Um, We are at this point right now where manufactured are actually kind of burdened by uh, DCC. And the fact that no matter what you pick, it's wrong. You're not going to cover the entire um, market that's going to want DCC because some markets want soundtracks. Some markets want ESU. Some markets want wow sound. Some markets might not even want sound at all. They just want the DCC decoder. So you can't really get them all under one umbrella right now when it's DCC sound. So you pick the one that that'll work with you the best, and and then you're still dividing up your uh, your products into two more subcategories. You got DCC sound, you got DCC ready because the DCC ready guys. They may not necessarily be just analog. Hey, we we want to put our own decoder in because you know I I want to go with what's compatible with with the rest of my locomotive fleet because my ESU loke sounds don't run so well with my soundtracks. You know, it, it's just this little fragmented community right now where no one can really get along so much. Well,
0: so I understand your challenge. What are you going to do for me?
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and then it comes out, what are you going to do for me? I mean, you're making this model just for me, right? Well, we are in a way, yes. We, we, we try to accommodate just for me, as many just for me as we possibly can.
0: But no, no, I don't want you to accommodate the just for me because you don't, you know, you make great locomotives and cars, but you don't make a DCC system. You're a no. user just as I'm a user. And so my context was Chris and either alone or in conjunction with some of the other manufacturers goes to this association of existing manufacturers and go, look, you guys are going to be your own. We're not saying tsunami merge with ESU. We're saying, can we kind of level the menu options so that we're actually doing more and right. introducing compatibility.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. I like what you it,
0: do, it, Ring, but I'd like to be able to play with that capability in my Tsunami, for instance.
2: You, you, you know, honestly, and, and this was my, the point that I was kind of gravitating towards. It's not just trying to find out what, what most people like anymore. It, it, it's trying to get everything under one moving force, and the same getting everybody to move in the same direction. And you know i have heard a lot of engineers you know kind of crack a joke about like protocols and stuff and um, standards and things it's like well you, you know there there's 10 great standards out there but you know <laughs> adding the adding 11 you know that may be the way to go type thing you know it, it, it's really difficult to kind of balance the equation right now uh you, you, there's there's a gravitation of like people wanting different things, so many different things. It's kind of spread out. We're we're trying to see where the market wants us to go. And and as as like a, a model manufacturer, you, you don't really want to play in. You just you you kinda of wanna coax it a little bit, kinda of let the the public and let the market and let our customers and everybody that that enjoys doing this sort of speak up and say this is what we want, you know. The, we want this awesome ring engineering receiver that also does DCC. It, and if it comes to fruition, great. We we can we can accommodate that. But right now, just it, it's really prohibitive when you're putting so much time and tooling and research and development of the actual physical model to actually start to put that you know that money into say, a revolutionary new uh, train control system. It's just like one or the other, you know. You can't have both from one manufacturer just because of the investment into developing both sides. It's just monumental. Uh, Developing a good model these days might as well kiss a house goodbye, (laughs) you know. It costs as much as a house to do a model. So, it's when when you start factoring into, hey, let's Start investigating and developing a new control system that you know does all these awesome things and you know has Bluetooth and we can use it this way and that way and it's compatible with everything in the past. We're talking multi millions of dollars, you know, and that that's just a lot uh, a burden one company should bear. So that's why I really think it's important that the NMRA sort of facilitate the this is what modelers need leveling the playing field of where everything should be at uh, as far as like talking on the rails or talking between your controller and the command station or whatever it is or talking between the controller and directly to the locomotive. Everybody just benefits more when it's just everybody can say, hey, well, it doesn't matter if it's like a Soundtracks or an ESU. It will run together. It will be great. Model manufacturer company, make us what you got use what you can get, well, we'll take it, you know, we're excited to take it. That's the ideal market situation for any model manufacturer. I mean, even looking at Cato, I noticed that their business has kind of been like, okay, well, you can buy a DCC ready, you know, which is analog, um, or you can get low sound, or you can get soundtracks, <laughs> you know. So they're offering two different DCC sound opportunities there and not a lot of companies can support that as far as like how many uh you know parts are in your line as far as like skus and things like that it just becomes a huge headache
0: well but yes you know, my interpretation of how CADO's is doing it you know they're doing it with treating it as a third party or an after market yeah. like supplier it's actually what one of their employees that does it
2: right and you know that
0: i mean there's a there's this logic there
2: there is a there's a great logic to it, and however they structured it is great. It really benefits the the customer, and I mean ideally everybody will want to get the decoder they want to get. And
0: I understand people are very polarized on whose decoder. Absolutely. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And th- this is where I, I think what Bruce was saying, just like w- we need we need some more progress within DCC, and it isn't that what we have is. Not manageable. It's just a little bit more headway. Let, let, let's gain some ground instead of stay in the same place that we've been for the past twenty years. You know, I, well, I think that's and, a... and
1: certainly my the project I was working on, and you, you know, there's going to be others that are going to do the same thing that I'm doing. Um, they're going to want to they they're going to want to have their own basement shaking. <laughs> I want to get it right. The just technology like a demand <laughs> is 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 the demand, and you know certainly I was hurting on it because I want my locomotive built to send stuff out, and you know that became a a roadblock for me. And right. you know if there's enough of those elements that go over there, you know maybe they'll get it over the speed bump.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there. I think that there just hasn't been real, any practical application for these things. so they've been successfully ignored for 20 years. But as we get into these more sophisticated decoders that are doing so much more than they ha- ever have, um, there is a real need for that bidirectional communication, and it will be a real benefit to people. As soon as they start realizing it and using it, it's like, why hasn't this all how, – how did we live life without it? especially for your ultimate throttle? It, it's something that is so such a simple requirement for getting information from point A to point B then back to point A.
0: Well, let's look at where the uh, impetus is going to come from right. being in the retail side of the business. If I take our customer demographic and I look at where the discretionary money is, it's baby boomers. Right. And there are so many of them come in. And this isn't a judgment statement, but no, I don't do DCC. I just do DC. Yeah. And, but the younger ones, and we're starting to see people in their 20s and 30s think it's a wave that's growing. But they're the ones that just right away, no, I want DCC and sound. Yeah. So there's going to be a, a generational shift. So I'm really supporting the point you made. It's going to be customer driven
2: what technology or what our, our hobby would just totally benefit by having these fully featured models that are interchangeable that are you know realistic they sound good you can run whatever manufacturer with whatever manufacturer yes and they're easy to use you know that that's the underscore there i think a lot of dcc has kind of fallen down it's just not that easy to use and when you dig into it, it's even more like strange and sort of like, hey, I'd rather like program my computer with assembler, you know. <laughs> they, they try to like figure out some of these uh, CVs and trying to, you know, work through some of the, the the inherent issues of of DCC as it is right now. So,
0: what are you doing? There's something really clacking on your end, buddy. I don't know. Clack clack clack.
2: Hey, I'm trying to run a train. Hey, you're just hearing the (laughs) couplers.
1: Believe me, if I went in and started my thing up, you wouldn't go here
2: anyway. (laughs) It it would shake on
0: this end. It would be rumbling.
2: You know, I can't tell you how many uh, railroad guys would probably want to get pay-per-view tickets to, to, you know, be in the cab with you when you're running your train, you know.
0: (laughs) Hey, I'd make a trip to uh, Yakima and, uh, you know, buy dinner for... Bruce and his family to be able to sit behind that puppy for a while,
1: oh, and I a hundred percent guarantee it will be a, it would be a thrill. Oh, I mean, it, I mean, it the video just doesn't capture it. It's just it's, it's so many. Everyone who's ever come over has seen the video and they've seen it multiple times, and it's in the other room. And yeah. I usually always have it idling first because, <laughs> well, it, it takes a while to fill up the air reservoir as well. <laughs> and uh so I show them the layout and everything, so they kind of see that, and then we go into this other room and then suddenly it's like, "Holy cow you know it's, yeah and uh its it's especially with all the new environmental sounds it it it, it it's a ride it's a, it's a, an it's an experience, yes, it's, it's not just operating its it's and of course, I'm really looking forward to taking it places, and I, I did m- make it so that the cab strategically comes apart uh, so I could take it on a larger layout to explore it. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure it'll be different on different layouts because it's only going to let you operate at the scale of speed. So if you're in someone's layout and it's a lot of nothing, well, you're going to be sitting there looking out this window for <laughs> a, while, a while looking at a lot of nothing
2: uh, that, that's when Paul, like, brings over the cooler of beer and cracks open a freshie while we're waiting to go <laughs> Violating rule, G, you can only do it here in 187 scale, you know?
0: <laughs> to the other, if you went to a, a club like La Mesa or, you know, the, the one at Pasadena or just anywhere around the country, a, a very large, fairly complete model railroad, oh, Bruce's system would just be mind-blowing. Oh.
1: Oh, and if it was like on a trestle, I bet somebody would be like, oh, boy, we better slow down. We're going to go over the edge. Because you could put the wood creaky in there. <laughs> the The, the steel we'll kind of of wood, sound of the wood cracking. And,
0: oh. Yes. Yeah, do the Camas Prairie it,
2: there. It, You know, it's like ice road sort of truckers where they sort of, like, embellish whenever they're going over the ice with more ice cracking, you know. It, it, it'd have to be completely over the top like that, you know. You're just like, brr, have the thing make you feel like you're swaying from side to side going over the spindly trestle.
1: <laughs> well, just, it, it, as long as it has, like, a, a good little, you know, wide uh, rail joiner in there, you know, these... Uh, Three thousand watt butt kickers. I mean, you're going to get a a big kick, and if you're on the the trestle and this whole thing's starting to bounce all around, it, it's really a weird experience. It's not like watching TV, you know. You feel like you're kind of like I was talking about before when people are going around turns and they're going too fast. They, you, for a moment there, you, I can tell the, they're they're almost in a sense of panic. Like, I think we're gonna we're gonna crash.
0: <laughs> it's an immersive experience, it's what you've created. Yeah. You just become embedded within it.
1: So, yeah, going over trestles and going through tunnels and going through big stations, and, I mean, I, th- that would just be so awesome, you know, compared to my little layout.
2: I, I, I think uh, there's going to be people that will be trying to figure out how you've done it. And uh, there's already I, I, a pretty well-known modeler. I think his name's Nick Muff with the Kansas City Southern layout in his basement. He moved like a real cab into his basement, and he wanted to use it to control trains.
1: I, I think I saw that. I mean, you had to cut it all up and bring yes. it down this narrow stairway.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah. And
1: like, that's, I showed that to my wife before, and she always was freaking out that that's ultimately what I would be doing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny is when on that content, and I'll say this to all the people that, you know, their their spouses, you know, think about how much money and time they spend on the Model Railroad. I know one of the postings that was on the video, the, the individual said, you know, look cool and everything, but I really have to thank you because I have had my wife look at all, look at this 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 video, and after she's seen that, she now says, "I'm perfectly in control in what I'm doing in my model railroading."
3: Oh my gosh!
1: <laughs> so well. to all these new model railroaders now that are able to spend a lot more money on their hobby because all they have to do is say, "Hey, at least I'm not doing what that throttled guy's doing." <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point.
0: You,
2: you know? know, but but deep down, Bruce, I got to tell you, every one of them wishes that they were doing what you were doing because they want to get into that cab of that locomotive and, like, yeah, you know, get on that throttle and you, you know, it, it, it's what we we've always dreamed of doing. Really, it's a, I, I
1: just and can't I think get that's over ultimately you know? the spirit of it too, because. Uh, I think I may have shared with you, Chris, on some of our earlier comments that as surprisingly I guess it might seem i I've actually received a lot of very negative correspondences that has been sent to me relating to this to the project um, uh-huh. some of the comments have even been to the extent of saying that I have you know, brought the hobby to a new low, if you will. Um,
0: <laughs> really? And what what rationale are they using to say that? Because
2: it threatens, uh, you
0: know, their
1: Well, their you know, and it's funny, so, is this is not, I'm, I'm not talking about like one or two, you know, I, yeah. you know. I think on the YouTube, there's maybe like 30 or so many, you know, comments that are on there. But mm. I have received probably a hundred negative emails. It's, as odd as it may sound, I receive more negative than, than it seem positive.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a scenario that will prove the worth of that. <clears throat> you go to a shopping mall and let's just say it were in Phoenix and I, as an affair with trains, would sponsor you to come down, bring your thing, and for five bucks, a young child or his father... Can get in the cab, just as you do in the video, and I guarantee you, train sales will just go through the ceiling. What are you talking oh, about yeah. something that will draft the younger children into it and spur other people into the to the detail and the realism? Oh, good heavens, yes.
1: Well, oh, yeah. I see, and I think I think what you just said is why I've been getting some of this is because. You you hit the the word you used was child. And so we've got to kind of have a little reality check here. As adults, you know, I'm in my 50s. When we're model railroading, after we do our scenery and so forth, and no one's looking, we, we bend down on our knees, and we get down at the level, you know, of the layout, and we look around, and you know what we're doing? We're pretending we're at that height. You know, we're grown men. We don't... Pretend as, you know, that's child's <laughs> language.
0: But the whole, but the whole thing of model railroading is, it is pretend.
1: But I, I think, a, but I think there are some. We've got a lot of our co-modelers that probably treat it in, as, as something that's more. That, that that's almost that's well, a, something else. It's it, that's you're, you're you're speaking taboo talk.
2: <laughs> well, anything that sort of encourages a great revolution within the hobby it will be greeted with a thud like you would never have heard. When I first brought the the Fremo uh, method to uh, my modular club back when I was 16 years old, I had a, a mentor with me to do it, and we presented a single track mainline with sightings. Oh, my gosh. I, I swear, the entire club turned their back on that. They're like, "This will never take off." So I, I understand that cold reception very, 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 very well. But it's it's still and I something never that uh, it. yeah, yeah. You, you don't.
1: I, I mean, you be like, I, hey, I never would have expected to get and, and people on. turn their <laughs> back on it. And
2: but you know, it's one of those things where it's this is revolutionary. This is something that the hobby really needs to touch the minds and hearts of so many different people. And just like Paul said, you take that to a public arena, people will get it. They will understand model railroading a lot better. It'll uh, be nothing like uh, that's that's out there right now. Go ahead. Sorry.
1: Because even even at at this point right now, except for... uh, Ken Rowe, who did some of the machining for me, who lives here in Yakima, who also is into model railroading, and he also machines his, you know, the the larger type that you you, you actually can ride. I haven't had another model railroader even take an invitation to to operate this thing yet. The people oh, that yeah. you want are the people that aren't into model railroading, and they get right. a kick out of it.
2: Yeah, well, you know, just doing something. Um, Horizon did uh, a very small sort of virtual reality sort of tie in. We had the virtual reality goggles that you put on and there was like this camera on the front of the locomotive and you could look to the left and look to the right. You know, everybody that wanted to try it was sort of like a fresh face to the hobby. They they were like, Hey, let's see what this is like. And then they get in this thing and they, or they put it on and Hey, this is really cool. You know, I get to actually see down the track while it's moving and, you know, I'm. Uh, it's like I'm standing on the front of that locomotive. Yeah, like yeah, that, that's what we were hoping. But the yeah, the established modelers kind of looked at it like they were afraid of technology. You know, that <laughs> it brought sort of luddite to a new level. It's like whoa, hey, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I you, what what you've created, Bruce, is really important in the fact that you know the generations that are coming in. Don't realize a hobby can be this way. What you've created, and as soon as you show it to them, it's just going to open up a whole new um, experience for them. Like, wow, I'm really into this. I, I, I want to go with this. I,
1: so this is what the we part need is somebody. Hobby
2: I'm interested in.
1: You know? So we need somebody to break the ice. You know, like one of you two. The next time you're like in, I mean, we're only a two-hour drive from Seattle. And once Uh there's a video of somebody who's, uh, we'll call a model railroading celebrity.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that'd be Paul Gillette all the way. Oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) And if they see uh, somebody then doing it, then they'll say, well, Jesus, Paul or Chris were doing it. I guess it's okay for me to do it.
0: Well, let's volunteer Joe to go over. (laughs) He's just ignoring it. Yeah,
2: well, well, how about we get Jim Lincoln to go with Joe? He, oh, Jim could be his conductor.
0: There you go.
2: Jim, Jim Jim, can tell Joe what all the signals mean. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. Yes, we'll get Mr. Lincoln involved in that. But yeah, this is just a fascinating subject.
2: Oh, this. I mean, you know, I, as you develop this, I, I, I want to touch base with you again as um, – as you hit another milestone, as you oh, try this lay, as you try this out on a larger layout, I definitely want to follow up with you on your experiences with that, um, how it impressed upon some of the other modelers. I know they're going to probably just, hey, you know, I'm not into this, but once they see it running, it's like God, I gotta try this. I gotta, tr- I gotta try getting into the seat, sure, and, and, and being the engineer instead of just you know the the, the oversized guy with the throttle controlling this small train you know yeah I, I swear every one of us wants to be inside that cab looking out that window you know so
0: yeah I want I want to feel that uh, vibration on my butt that should... <laughs> <laughs> you
2: know it, you know Bruce you might have to like make another seat. With another one of those kickers on there, <laughs> just for the conductor, oh, you know, because that, yeah, people there you will go. pay money.
1: To hey, see then, that then, right so off. what you're saying is I'm going to have to go to my wife and say, you know, can the reason why the uh, the power company is out here is because we need another power tap into the house. Right. <laughs> I need another 4,000 watts. <laughs> <laughs>
2: More power, like Tim the Tool Man always said. Oh, oh, oh,
0: oh. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, golly, That's just yeah, it's it's like the ultimate vibrating
1: chair.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forget the ultimate throttle; it's the ultimate vibrating chair. That's right.
1: <laughs> well, and it's, and it's not vibe. It's not just random. And that's 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 the element that's that that the telemetry brought in is when you look. And if you re-look at the video that I already have posted, you can see areas where the camera rocks back and forth. Yes. But yeah. there's no real feedback to it. Where now there is. And so I'm hoping to, you know, do another video here in the next couple of weeks to show all these new elements that are in there. And so now you get that, that visual feedback of, you know, you know, that you're rocking, you should have felt something. Even so I already had the effects of going over the rail ties, it didn't have the effects of you, you know, moving around. And plus, I'm pleased to say I got in the mail today my new backdrop that, that, uh, I had ordered custom made for that is also high enough. It had to be actually a whopping 32 inches just to make it so the lens couldn't, the camera couldn't see over it. So it'll wrap completely around the whole layout. So, and 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 the way that the uh, this was um, the backdrop junction made this for me, and he he did the imagery in in a fashion that was really done to be from the camera point of view. So the way the clouds look and so forth, they, they look more the way they should when you look up at them. Um, so I'm really excited to go and put the new backdrop on it so you don't see, when you go around the bend, you don't see my workbench. <laughs> 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 or, you know, there was a period of time when I was doing one of the videos and my wife went by and it was like, my God, you know, it startles you when you see something. And it's huge.
2: Well, oh, yeah. you know, Bruce, I, I think as the, what what you've developed kind of like proliferates and more people start, you know, following along and also leading to the, the they'll introduce new ideas and things into uh, a new segment of the hobby that creates a, a real experience. It, it, it may not be a real train experience, but this is a real model railroad experience, you know, like you said, um, I, I think that um, as things develop, this is going to become a niche in, within the hobby itself. Uh, a whole new group of people are going to come in, bring some new ideas, bring some new technology, figure out some some workarounds to you know size limitations, and this is just going to be um, a growing segment of the hobby that kind of interacts you with real with, with your models, you know, and with the layout. And it's going to put a spin on it that's, that everybody has been just kind of wanting to do but not really able to do because of, um, you know, the camera limitations and some of the technological limitations to date. But this is exciting to me. I, I, I think uh, it will open up a lot more people to model railroading than, may have said, no, maybe that's just not for me. They'll, they'll get wind of this and go like, hey, uh, this is this is cool. I'm in, you know.
0: <laughs> well, I don't have the sales numbers for the railroad simulators.
2: Yeah, forget um, railroad simulators. They'll be calling you and be like, you know. Uh,
0: that's a successful market segment. So what Bruce is tapping here, Chris, and you've been extolling it, is just the next life of that that's yeah yeah based on reality not just a a cgi on a screen exactly
1: oh this is cool because that's cheating i mean it's it's, cheating (laughs) yeah it it is i mean
2: you can can take a photo of a boxcar side and slap it onto a wireframe and it's just like yeah it looks really realistic it's like oh good for you you know (laughs)
1: It's not the modeling anymore, and and I and I personally like doing three D. I've done some videos where I've done computer-generated you know stuff, but that's not what the model railroading is about, though. I mean, it's it's, it's I think it's more part of the artistic yes. the side of it, and so
2: I, I can follow that myself. Yeah, yeah, I agree.
1: So yeah, if you ever have a, a you you have a locomotive that you want to have. Photograph next to mine to see how it really looks. You just send it to me and I'll run it around and see how it really looks.
0: All right, I got a cab, a couple cab Fords I'll send up to you. And your diesel.
2: You know, like I said, I, I just think that you, you brought a, an incredible element of fun and, you know, I. Uh, I think that the more we relate the hobby to just having fun, I think the more in line we are to being successful and, you know, adding more people into it. I know maybe this isn't necessarily something that we have to do is like add more people, but it certainly benefits everybody to have, um, a bigger audience to, um, have manufacturers more supportive to model railroading, et cetera. So, uh, whatever we can do to bring to an, an extra element of fun, I'm I'm all for. it.
0: So am I. I don't think there's going to be any argument there. All right, Chris. Anything else on your mind? I mean, we have covered all the nuances. <laughs> I, I, I
2: I I I think uh, I, I'm pretty much at a at an impasse as far as that.
0: <laughs> okay. So. All right. Well, this has been great. Bruce, I appreciate you uh, taking uh, more time. I, the whole time we've been doing this, I've had a uh, secondary screen up so I can watch the recorder actually recording this time. What a concept.
1: Uh, well, again, I really appreciate the opportunity to go and, you know, share the process and the project as well. I mean, that that's certainly been, Really rewarding, and again, really appreciate the opportunity you guys have given me to do that.
0: Oh, I tell you what, the uh, pleasure was all uh, all ours.
1: Yeah, very, absolutely. Very
0: informative.
1: Yeah, I'm
2: really excited to see your progress, and uh, when you can get to a bigger layout. Not saying that your small layout's insufficient, but just that experience of going through that those long. See, the
1: bars already been ready. See, Just a medic, Chris. That's what oh. happened. You see oh. the layout. Okay, we've gone there. It's not big enough now. No,
2: no, no. No, 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 can, no. You can do that for the next, you know, couple years, and I'll, I'll just be like, wow, this is really cool. Um, but I, I know for you, this is sort of like uh, what my mentor did to me. He's just like, you know, Chris, okay, this is what you need to experience. Okay, and, and, and it's true. I, I can tell you need to experience it more than me <laughs> going to a larger layout and really fleshing this out in, in a bigger environment with longer trains and tangents and things like that and just seeing
1: well, how you're it. Your yeah, and, it would be, and it would be cool to get the locomotive over 20 miles an hour without the fear of jumping the track. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, hey, you never know, 16 inch minimum radius curves. uh, You'll be able to throttle up a little bit more on those. (laughs) But, yeah, it's really cool to see what you've done. And um, I really appreciate your time coming on to the podcast and sharing everything that that you have.
0: Both times. Both times, too.
2: Both times, yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: If we're done, I can wrap this up. Go ahead and wrap it up, then, uh.
1: Well it's been fun guys. I hope you yeah. hit, I sure I hope you hit the record button. Yes,
2: yeah, so I've yeah, watching it yeah.
3: every